So Bill to make the Rwanda scheme more extreme. There's a Tory rebellion. Lee Anderson steps down. You've got Ofcom poaching big tech staff in a push to enforce new internet curbs from Google, Meta, and Microsoft. What the hell could go wrong there? Studies discover biggest cause of alarm and surge of excess deaths due to heart failure. We don't know what it is, guys, but we know certainly it's not the vaccine. And Donald Trump is absolutely bossing it in America. And also the bloodshed in Gaza only increases. But stay, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by a face we've had on the show many times. It is Liber TV. Do you want to give a little introduction about who you are and what you're about for anyone who doesn't know? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, Ross Bryant from UK Liber TV. Um, just like Rory, I'm trying to spread the good word out there about uh, liberty, freedom and all the good stuff. Um, trying to keep a track on UK news. I've also recently started, um, I'm a history teacher, so I've recently started recording some of my history lessons. So if you see some of the things that are taught in secondary schools and it makes you uh, cringe in despair for the future generations um give my stuff a watch see what i'm uh, teaching kids and uh, yeah hopefully that will pick up your spirits wow we'll definitely go check him out quality content he had a great episode recently covers a multitude of things similar to me gets better guests on often though so definitely go check it out great podcast um so the first story is about what's happening with the conservative party so as everyone knows Tories are completely failing, polling numbers falling off a cliff, you've got reform just skyrocketing, you actually got Ben Habib now running the by-election in Wellingborough, I'm probably saying that wrong, they're hitting 11% nationally or 10% nationally, they're really growing a lot, like they're seriously making headways and within that you have the Tory party now that's not only declining, it's also having a splitting of the tiny coalition it already had of kind of the Zuela anti-immigration lot compared with more moderates kind of centre-right people and today MPs in the Commons have rejected Robert Jenrick's bill amendment 23 to the bill by 336 votes to 65 and the amendment aimed to state that emergency injunctions from the European judges could be ignored by UK ministers so basically what this means is the, the they wanted to make the Rwanda bill more extreme and overall certain rights for asylum seekers and people like Lee Anderson who've been pushing this really strong anti-immigration sentiment they're kind of getting pissed off but at the same time there's still kind of nothing because Rishi's trying to keep on to the kind of anti-immigration wing of the pie but he's got a battle with the moderates at the same time but what are kind of your thoughts of what's actually happening with everything like what do you think the conservative party is actually going to stand on coming into the election like when the general election is called what's actually going to be the focus because they've tried to push home this anti-immigration sentiment it's clearly not it is working to an extent but they sacked zuella and now they're left with an even more divided party so there's no clear identity of what they're about but what are your thoughts well they'll always talk a good game won't they the Tories? if you can if we talk about the Republicans as well in America, the Republicans and the Tories are good at one thing, and that's always talking a good game. Um, and, of course, they never follow through then, and that's why they're now being punished in the polls, as we um, as we can see. They always talk a good game when it comes to immigration, do the Tories. For the last 14 years of Tory rule, it's always been, you know, rock solid on immigration and yet we're going to cut the numbers down and it's going to be the lowest year ever and even after brexit we're going to you know really ram in ram home red immigration um yeah and consistently year after year immigration kept continuing in, uh, in increasing numbers into this country um and it's essentially not sustainable uh, there's a whole host of reasons why it's not sustainable uh, the pressure it puts on social housing the pressure it puts on public services pressure it puts on schools and hospitals etc um yeah it's not uh, it's not a, a coherent plan at the moment this for wonder bill uh, the move to make it more extreme um, I think essentially they're pandering for, I don't want to say an anti-immigrant vote because I don't really think people vote solely just on that basis. But yeah, it looks like they're trying to do their best to appeal to the right of the country. Uh, I think it is too little too late. I think people are now calling them out on it. I think the fact that they are so divided on that will ram home the message that people can't trust the Tories on this issue and rightly so uh, the sacking of Swirla Braverman and the um, stepping down of Lee Anderson 
and two of the kind of critics of the uh, of immigration into this country. Clearly, this just highlights uh, the divide within the party. Clearly, this just shows that, uh, you know, it's not a unified message. Although, interestingly, I mean, if you just look at polling data across the UK, um, every constituency, bar a few within cities, London, Brighton, um, you know, a few in Liverpool, um, every constituency states that there needs to be more action done regarding immigration, not less. And you can, you know, you can see why people know why. Uh, it's not a um, uh, an issue that people feel comfortable talking about in public now. Hence why Lee Anderson, hence why Swella Braverman got the sack as well. Uh, and hence why they're facing all this opposition uh, now. However, as usually is the case with these people, the intelligentsia class, the political elite, whatever we want to call them, um, are against the people on this. The people seem quite well decided on the fact that um, you know they'd like to see immigration come down. Uh, now, I'm a libertarian. I don't believe in uh, going on people's will to base a society off of and base public policy off of. You should do what's right. Uh, however, on this particular note, I think the people are correct on this. Um, yeah, and the Tories are rightly getting scrutinised for this. Um, and as we kind of mentioned earlier, yeah, they're going to be smashed in the polls for 14 years of failure. Yeah, I I think that's so true. Like, what, like everyone in the UK wants low immigration. When you look at what's happened with people's views on it, like it hasn't shifted that much it's always been in like I think the top five policies and every government they promised to lower it I mean even under Jeremy Corbyn I remember speaking to a person who's actually a right winger and she said like well Jeremy Corbyn was against immigration and that's kind of a interesting angle because that's the DUP stance um which is wait DUP yeah Dem yeah um <laughs> I was I was getting the wrong acronym or something there um in the sense like old school leftism of low immigration but kind of national sovereignty and we're seeing that Keir Starmer simply doing nothing he's gaining votes and it's amazing to watch kind of the Tories destruct themselves while Keir Starmer still stands for little to nothing and he's managing to absolutely crush it. I mean even when you look at the Israel situation right now you have 28,000 dead you have like thousands of women and children dead you have calls for a ceasefire then um israel getting taken to the international criminal court by south africa for genocide keir starmer still hasn't even said anything he hasn't even agreed for a ceasefire yet somehow in the polls he's still doing well now that won't that will falter a bit but it's amazing to see labor just needs to do absolutely nothing right now and they're sailing to victory do you, like do you think coming to the election labor have it sorted because we kind of always see when the election starts the campaign starts then people start to kind of go back to their old ways what like how do you think that will plan out so yeah i think labor have got this wrapped up it's a little bit like um it's kind of shades of 2020 for the democrats really i think after four years of trump um american voters were kind of so I guess, tired of the drama that Trump brought um, and so rejected him at the polls. Now we can talk about the legitimacy of those of that particular election another time, maybe. But um, yeah, Biden didn't have to do any campaigning in 2020. Uh, he simply just had to be the anti-Trump figure. And I think Starmer is going to do the exact same thing. He can just essentially be the anti-Tory figure, um, keep his mouth closed as much as possible on any particular issues that could upset him. So obviously you mentioned Israel Gaza there, so that's going to be the most interesting one. Uh, obviously Biden in America has been hammered uh, for not being uh, harsh enough on Israel and um, continuing to fund them. Obviously the kind of left, political left in this country leans hev very heavily towards the Palestinian cause. And so naturally uh, Starmer having not outwardly condemned it, Starmer having not outwardly uh, shunned Israel, is not um, going to endear the party faithful to him any any stronger. However, he really does not need to do this then. Essentially, he does just need to keep his mouth closed mm. uh, and just ride out the victory. Um, the Tories will be punished. I mean, we've all seen the predictions on YouGov. Um, I know polling, we can't always trust it. Going back to the Brexit vote, they got that one wrong. 
Um, but yeah, they're not going to get it wrong by this percentage. I was looking at the numbers. We were looking at the numbers just before this and we saw um, it's the lowest swing needed in history. It's at, what did we say? It was 12.7% needed. Mm. And yeah, they'll crush it in a landslide. Interestingly, it'll be um, obviously we think back to the 97 election when Blair, um, you know, smashed it for Labour then. I don't think people will think of Starmer in the same way they think of Blair at the time. Blair was uh, kind of like a new politician, a, a seen as a kind of radical centrist or whatever we want to describe him as, this Blairism. Uh, I don't think people were, you know, feel an affinity to Starmerism. Uh, I don't know if there is such a thing as Starmerism. And I think um, a lot of the Labour vote will just be uh, just apathy due to the 14 years of conservative mm. rule in which people have seen, as we've discussed already, immigration go up. Uh, you know, they've seen inflation hit. They've seen the cost of living crisis. They've seen the pandemic mishandled. Uh, yeah, people will punish the Tories uh, and vote Labour, not because it's Labour, but because it's to punish the Tories. So we voted for the blue team last time. This time we'll do the red team. And then who knows, in 10 years time, we'll vote for the blue team again. Yeah, I, I think that's what, like, that is what's going to happen. And Keir Starmer is playing it very smart in the fact that he knows he doesn't need to condemn anything. And he knows that any political risk is stupid. Just as a correction, by the way, I didn't mean the DUP. I meant the Democrats. Um... I, I can't even remember them right now, but I didn't mean the DUP when I said that, by the way. Um, and I think, yeah, you, you know in the sense that, like, the reason Labour doing so well is not because they're offering much of a solution. It's simply because the Tories are fucking useless. <laughs> That's simply put. Um, but talking of the next story, so Ofcom poaches big tech staff in push to enforce new internet curbs. So this is this is just standard stuff right here. So Ofcom has been poaching staff from big... So if anyone doesn't know who Ofcom is, UK regulator of TV and the internet, and now there's going to be um, exceeding powers of internet platforms where basically they're going to be more liable to hateful content or multitude of things that will mean they'll censor more and Ofcom are going to be the people regulating that. So Ofcom has been poaching staff from big tech companies as the UK media watched to prepare to enforce one of the world's toughest new regimes for the internet. The regulator has created a team of nearly 350 people dedicated to tackling online safety, including new hires from senior jobs at Meta, Microsoft and Google. Ofcom also aims to hire another 100 this year. The staff increase our response to the Online Safety Act, which became law in the UK in October. It gives the media watchdog sweeping new powers to oversee some of the biggest companies in the world, as well as hundreds of thousands of small websites and apps. So, and this, bearing in mind, when everyone ever talks about this, all they bang on about is, you know, sexual abuse, porn, which these are real issues and there should be things to curb that. But let's not forget, ladies and gentlemen, whenever there is legislation that friends our liberty, it's never going to be done. As I always, always say, it's never going to be done through good things. No one will accept legislation that encroaches our freedom if it's for a good, for a bad reason. Then, Like, that just doesn't happen ever so anyone who uses that argument to defend a multitude of stuff here but the bottom line is you look at who the regulators hiring it's from companies that have just you know censored information for years and years and years and now they're hiring from that those same places there's just a complete breach of impartiality there but what are your thoughts i mean i remember when the uh, when elon musk bought twitter uh, and drop the Twitter files, um, you know, just <clears throat> daily revelations of quite how much uh, state interference there was in the handling of Twitter, uh, you know, calls from the FBI to tell them to censor this person, uh, calls from the State Department, calls from the White House, um, everything. And yeah, now we know the full extent of the corruption at Twitter. But, you know, let's see the Facebook files. Let's see the Microsoft files. Let's see the Google files. Um, we never will. But you bet your bottom dollar they are equally as dirty if not more so than the twitter files uh it is interesting just to see you know them buy off these new people i do think um you know they will as you say try and push this as a as a child safety thing uh they'll push this as a you know 
to combat rampant pornography or combat hate speech or whatever it will be, whoever the hell can define hate speech. Mm. Um, yeah, there will be slow moves towards it to combat disinformation. Although, I mean, here's your white pill. I, I, it seems, I'm not sure if it's just because of the algorithm that we exist in, but it just seems like every time you get a figure from one of these companies talk about disinformation, they just seem to be swamped by, um, what would you call them? People who are red-pilled, I guess, if we wanted to use the terminology. People who are red-pilled just seem to kind of swamp them and just have overwhelmingly negative things to say and just call them out for what they are, which is authoritarian, um, yeah, psychopaths, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's good. But do I think the population writ large will see, oh, look, they're doing something about the Internet. That's a good thing. Uh, and that's what worries me. This is going to be a very mm. um, backhanded approach to uh, censorship. Not that we've already seen plenty of it in uh, plenty of it already over the last four or five years. Uh, yeah, and that does worry me because this is so uh, insidious and underhanded, as is every kind of move on the internet. So insidious and so underhanded and so uh, unpredictable that yeah, I don't quite know where they'll go with this next. Although I am quite worried about this online safety bill. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, even in my own work, like I work for a political organisation. I'm not going to say who. I mean, maybe people know. I'm not sure. Um, but also I did move jobs even if people who've been from the podcast well know um, it's a different place now and I work on the social media running it and I and I see because I see the messages I see how many people share content I see censorship um, time and time again and how if I don't use certain words it's better or and I see how many people share it and then how the followers of the reach plays in with that and you saw that even the uk government has secret spy units spying on julie hartley brewer jay bashacharya professor carl hannigan ev from oxford and like evidence-based medicine we had that during covid lockdown skeptics were literally spied on by the government i mean beyond dystopian and that's kind of when when we see articles like that we, we're not even surprised i'm not surprised when it turns out people who had dissenting voices were spied on or suppressed or defamed or like what happened in america where francis collins and fauci were trying to take down the great barrington declaration which is a declaration against lockdowns of thousands of scientists from some of the best places on the planet and they couldn't handle that they couldn't handle all these world-renowned experts having a different view so what do they do they got to defame them they got to suppress them and it's incredible how private companies are so colluded with uh, governments it's like you know fascism in in the sense of the collusion of the two and it's not going to get better like the more digital digitalized we get people live online now so many people's lives are online like i want to get offline because i feel like it's rotting my brain you're sharing things with people that you you kind of shouldn't share um and i know you're old than me so you won't experience it to the same extent but i'm sure you can see how a lot of people's lives are now online and the more sense of that gets the more disturbing that is because when more of the world is becoming online but then more of online is being censored the reality overall is far more distorted than we we could ever imagine yeah i think yeah but i mean i know you're like 10 years younger than me but i mean i guess we're just about still in the same generation i'll like count that as uh yeah and i think of the kind of um the social media generation that we grew up in and that kids grow up in now it does worry me uh yeah it does worry me too when i look at what algorithms do to people um you know i know and you know immediately when you look, read a story read something on the internet I know who is and isn't to be trusted. Um, whereas I don't know, like I look at my wife's algorithm and majority of it's kind of like, you know, music and celebrity gossip, etc. Uh, and occasionally there's the odd political story, uh, you know, Apple News or something generic like that then the Guardian, the BBC, whoever it might be, pops up there. And yeah, people just don't know how to decode that. Then, you know, you read the news, it's from a relatively trusted uh, name. Well, you know, why wouldn't you uh, Why wouldn't you um, just believe whatever you've been told? Uh, although, of course, like I say, the white pill should be is that more and more people are sceptical. We live in a time now where there is more opportunity to seek alternative news media uh, than there has ever been before in human history. There is no monopoly on media anymore. Uh, you and I are living examples of that then. Uh, you know, the fact that 
ordinary Joes can have their own shows. Um, you know, roll the clock back 50 years. And if I was to tell my granddad, yeah, I'm going to have my own show one day, uh, you, know, you know, I'm going to run it myself and I'm going to sit in my dressing gown while I do it. But um, yeah, I can have my own show. You know, he wouldn't have believed me. And that's an excellent thing. I think the decentralization of media is key. And now, of course, the fact that it's uh, now becoming algorithmically controlled, algorithmically censored, that doesn't surprise me in the least what you were saying about um how you have to be careful with what words you use um you know i've done many a google search on certain topics and the first results are always oh it's from that article it's from that group it's from this people okay the ones mm. you can trust then we hear the one that we'd like you to hear hear from so here's an example then you type in anti-war um you don't get antiwar.com until the second page. Wow. Now, most people, very few human beings ever clicked the second page of Google, um, of Google search. And yeah, that is the antiwar.com is the leading um, American uh, anti-war movement. Uh, that's their website. Uh, yeah. And you have to get to the second page of Google to find them then, even though you typed in the two words that make up their website. Uh, so, yeah, there's just one little example. Uh, yeah, it does worry me, though. But like I say, the fact that more people know this, more people understand what an algorithm is, more people understand about clickbait and all of these um you know new internet phenomena that have only developed over the last 15 or 20 years uh, i feel like it's only going in a good direction it's moving in the direction of more skepticism towards big companies mm. you spoke there about fascism correct word you know it's the merging of corporation and state i mean that's what mussolini said of course we you know now microsoft google it's it's so underhanded now it's not business out in the open it really is just business in the shadows business online in the online world but absolutely it is fascism and you know people should call it out for what it is and i think more people do see the kind of collusion between these big companies and more people are skeptical more people are going to alternative voices um yeah so anyone who listens to this show will hopefully know that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean in the way of opportunities and what we have access today is unbelievable compared to past generations. I would say, though, it has it can kind of flip its way around because I've realised with certain issues, I'm I'm so don't know what to believe. And part of that is because, like, I, it's either I don't want to believe or whatever it is but i don't know what the line is of truth so the more kind of censorship the more people are going to obviously believe dissenting voices but then that's when the dissenting voices could be co-opted of fame or money or so it's like it's kind of a loop of misinformation where like mainstream news becomes so misinformation and bollocks that you go to alternative sources and and you know their independence you can trust them more but then when that becomes an incentive structure to make money or clout and we do see it with certain issues like even like i say the trans movement's a good example like it's a definitely a disturbing um feature that we have thousand more referrals of gender disorder to the nhs every year like it's it's disturbing that we're seeing a massive uptick of that but at the same time there's people making their whole careers off just talking about that and then within that there's misinformation obviously over that and then it's kind of a cycle but then no one believes in the mainstream because they're acting like it's not an issue but then they go to these people who just make a living off it so it works great so it's 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 very disturbing within that it's like i i'm right now kind of gr grasping climate change now i think climate change is an emergency and it is a it is an issue the question is how to deal with it but within that there's so many kind of different opinions that seem right or believe but i don't trust the mainstream media because i know what happened with covid and stuff so it's like do you know what i mean about how it it i'm scared it's going to inverse almost and that people are going to take advantage of mistrust i mean people are taking advantage but how far can that go really um how far can people miss how <laughs> i guess how mistrustful is our society now mm. um yeah, so much so than it ever was then. Um, I was uh, I was teaching just the other day about uh, 
law and order in this country during, I don't know, let's roll the clock back a thousand years to the Saxon period. And law and order was not as barbaric as people think it was. I mean, yes, the punishments were brutal. You were losing hands and arms and legs and all sorts of things for petty crimes. But in terms of the actual policing, people police themselves very effectively uh, because there was a degree of trust in local communities because your local community was, you know, 10 people. Now my local community can be 10 million people just with the advent of the internet. And so, yeah, you're right. There is a degree, uh, there is a breakdown of trust in society. Uh, and I don't think the toothpaste is going back in the tube on that one. I don't see how we can go back from that. So, uh, yeah, it is a problem knowing, you know, what to trust, knowing, um, you know, where to get reputable news from, uh, particularly if you're kind of new into this world where you know that you can't trust what you see on the TV, but yet you're not sure about everything that you can read online, who's just pushing for clicks, who's just, um, you know, out to maximise their YouTube ad revenue. It is tricky. Um, I don't think we needn't be... I am more optimistic about it. Okay, I think the more decentralization a society has, the better. And I think we are forever and ever moving towards that decentralization, where, as you say now, everyone can host their own show if they want to. I think that is a net positive. Mm. I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think that these people will win out and there'll be a totalitarian, hellish landscape. Okay, uh, I think before it gets to that point, people will push. Um, people will push back. They'll try to push it on us, and we've already seen it happen. But I do think that before we get to such a you know an alarming state, uh, I think people will realise it, and we've seen over the world people realise it. And it doesn't have to necessarily be perfect. So you know, obviously, you and I would like a perfect libertarian society free market capitalism etc although it's that's not always the case then you know i, I was just reading uh, the white pill by michael malice recently about the fall of the soviet union and at the height of the soviet union it looked as if the soviet union was would never go away people who lived through it i mean i'm speaking to my dad about this the other day as a child of the 50s and 60s um People who were born and grew up in the Soviet Union could never cease to believe that it exists. People who lived under it would never have never known anything else then. Uh, yet it did collapse and it collapsed very quickly. And sometimes these um, governments and organisations, you know, can collapse very quickly. And no one can predict it. No one could have predicted the collapse of the Soviet Union, but it did happen. And the people who lived under it now lead better lives. OK, they don't lead you know, great lives, many of them, but they their lives are substantially improved um, from the collapse of that. And, you know, we just never know how these things move. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a good point about how we don't, we don't, I don't want to preemptively be negative about good decentralized future of people having their independent choice. I think that will be a net positive 100%. I guess my pet, I have constant pessimism about everything and, that's one thing I've really been thinking about recently. What what's going to happen when the kind of the structure shifts when TV does completely die? I mean, I think it is a massive net positive. I think that you can definitely trust an independent person rather than a privately funded organization that's backed by invested interest, may it be pharmaceutical companies or um, uh, like arms producers or whatever it is like pushing war pushing some safe and effective treatments whatever it is you know like there's i i know what one i tr like trust more and speaking of kind of safe and effective treatments so study discovers biggest cause of alarm and surge of excess deaths so heart failure is the biggest driver of alarm and surge in excess deaths a study revealed as mps demand a thorough investigation into the trend so research published by scientists at Oxford University show that while cancer and dementia and death have fallen, deaths from heart and circuitry problems are spiraling. So this includes deaths from heart disease, heart attacks, strokes and lung clots. The scientists say this rise cannot be accounted by the aging or growing population. And next week we'll see a debate in Parliament when MPs will call for the government to investigate the problem. 
with the numbers rising since the pandemic. And that is the debate that happened yesterday with Andrew Bridgen. So the new study based on government figures shows that there were 595,000 deaths last year, of which 53,000 were considered excess or extra. This is based on a five-year average of deaths for COVID. By comparison, there were 82,000, 60,000 extra deaths during the pandemic of 2020 and 2021, respectively. And last year, there were 100,000 more deaths than there were in 2011. The report shows the highest figure recorded in non-pandemic year since the Second World War. And Professor Carl Hannigan, Director of Center of Evidence-Based Medicine at Oxford University, who co-authored the study, said, These figures are a real cause for concern. These deaths cannot be explained by COVID population growth nor aging. As I just said, I don't know if I repeated that. I just, I do love Carl. met him in person. Lovely guy. Um, but... Bottom line is, you had a lot of doctors before, like Carl Hannigan, you had Joe Bhattacharya. I mean, Joe Bhattacharya, a little bit about, you know, the risks of, for instance, vaccinating younger people. And you've had people like Dr. Seema Hotra, the cardiologist, world-renowned, who said that we're going to see an increase in, like, heart attacks, heart disease, or heart failure. And it does look like that's coming to fruition. And people are saying, you know, what the hell is this? Why isn't there a phone investigation? In 2023, we had thousand, you know, a thousand people dying a week um, based on the numbers. And well, the equivalent, if not thousand, maybe a bit, well, we'll be a bit more than a thousand a week. So why aren't people talking about it? We had this death toll where everyone was terrified during COVID. Why are these, you know, we got all these people dying. Right now we have people dropping dead from heart attacks, from heart, heart failure, whatever it is. And no one wants to talk about it. You have Andrew Bridgen who's raising the alarm. As he says, this, we, we can all hear the alarms going, but no one wants to go outside check if there's a fire. And that does seem the position we're in now. That when is it going to get to the point where we're going to have a daily death toll on BBC News like it was and people are going to be scared of heart failure and stuff? Because people say, oh, it's conspiracy theory to say it's the vaccine. But what like what is happening? I guess you could say ripple effect of lockdown, stress, loneliness. But let's have that. Let's have an investigation. Instead, no one wants to talk about it. And anyone who wants to say it's the vaccine is labelled a nut job. But yeah, what what are your thoughts? <laughs> Isn't it ironic that like one of the rationale for COVID uh, and for for lockdowns rather was that it was designed to protect grandma and protect all the old people. And if you didn't want to do it, you were a grandma killer who was selfish and just wanted to get their hair cut and yada yada. We've heard it all before. And now we're in a situation. So I shouldn't like take this in jest, but it, it, there is just so much <laughs> irony in it because yeah. it's very serious. We're in a situation where disproportionately, um, you know, elderly people, uh, have been dying in numbers, yeah, as you say, like not seen since, well, far more than in the, in the last few years. And as you say, it's not due to COVID. It's not due to our excess population. It's not due to an aging population. What is the cause of it? Um, yeah, I mean, that is a good question. Uh, and it's a question that no one does want to ask. And it's a question that uh, if we were an honest society, would need answering. And I do think that there is a movement. There's lots of good work, as you said there, from Andrew Bridgen. Uh, check out the Togetherness. Um, what are they called exactly here? Together, Together Association stands for Freedom. Uh, we want to be together, not separated. We beat vaccine passport mandates. So Together Declaration, check those guys out. They do some good work on this uh, topic here. Yeah, uh, we all want the questions answered. And I do think there is going to be some kind of reckoning. If we were any kind of honest society, we should have a reckoning, a thorough reckoning, um, going through every single decision that was made uh, about the pandemic. And I don't mean the COVID inquiry reckoning, where you have Boris Johnson and Matt Hancock explaining why they had a, a bit of cheese and wine and why that was such an abomination. I mean, a thorough investigation as to why these people <clears throat> took these decisions, uh, these drastic decisions that, as you say, destroyed the economy, uh, decimated people's lives uh, and do uh, and is responsible for the... Um, for these excess deaths okay mm. whether they come from heart failure because people or um i don't know obesity whether people weren't out enough during lockdowns exercising whether they come from alcohol abuse tobacco abuse or whatever the issues are um i think we can track them back to lockdowns and i think people should be braver in saying that mm. uh that these were 
a knock-on effect because of the lockdowns. We're seeing this all over our society, uh, you know, and it's not just, uh, and that's the thing we're calculating uh, excess deaths then. So it's not just people who died because of maybe vaccine injuries, maybe long COVID, whatever. Let's not get into the vaccine injury debate. But it's not just that, it's the people who suffered because of the inflation, because of our printing 300 billion during the process of the um, during the process of the lockdowns, who then lost their jobs, lost their business, couldn't take it anymore, split up with their wife. Uh, you know, they're a child and they're now a child of divorce, um, you know, maybe and they just ended it all. Maybe they committed suicide then is those stories um that we'll never get the full that we'll never get their full um answer to okay it's those stories and those people that we can never really link in an official statistic um you know and there must be thousands millions of people all over the world who have stories like that people who've lost everything due to the lockdowns and yeah if we were any kind of honest society we would have a serious nuremberg trial-esque um reckoning of these people yeah i completely agree i mean the amount of people i know whose lives were ruined because of covid like i know someone very close to me who you know what she experienced with lockdown was terrible and not just her like more kind of secondary sources like horrendous stories just endless horrendous stories and when you think about fifty-three thousand extra people dying that's kids that's mothers that's loneliness of people dying because they're just alone no one can visit them they're in a care home they're in a hospital bed whatever it is the amount of people like i saw this amazing thing by um zuby today and he spoke about how you know like in 2024 75 percent of the um suicides so far have been um men but dur- like during covid well, sorry i don't know why i mentioned that statistic. i just thought it was horrific but that it basically made the point that the amount of people who are killing themselves it's like the main cause of death below 40 and he said isn't that absolutely terrifying that the biggest threat to people is themselves and i thought it was such an incredible way of putting it because it's like so many people in life genuinely speaking are suffering may that be getting by they don't have much money or they're suffering because of <clears throat> trauma or abuse or whatever it is there's so many horrible things that happen to so many people in life and it's heartbreaking and and like people have to deal with stuff anyway and life is fucking difficult for a lot of people and the fact that on top of all the life's difficulties lockdown was put on top of them and their stories aren't being heard today but instead we're talking about fucking matt hancock whatever or boris johnson or some shit like that when actually, even within that, like we're talking about them breaking the rules, but again, the question I always bang on about is, we say talk about them breaking the rules, why were they breaking the rules? Let's, let's ask that question, because if they were saying it's terrified, your grandma's going to die, why were you breaking the rules? And I still to this day makes me sick when I think about what happened to so many people in the UK, and people, people say, oh, this is an old story, why are you still talking about it, whatever. The reason we are, because there hasn't been a reckoning. There hasn't been an acceptance that lockdown killed lo- killed people. And, p- you know, people can say it's a conspiracy to say um, this these deaths are because of the vaccine. Now, I don't think they're all because of the vaccine. I think it's a multitude of things. But even if zero of them are the vaccine, you have to admit then lockdown was a complete failure, which is also a mainstream thing that was pushed. And if you went against that, you were a conspiracy nut. So it's either a combination. Some people on extreme say it's mostly vaccinated. I don't know about that. And then... Or lockdown was a complete farce and completely destroyed everything about the UK and killed a bunch of people. So what what one is it? You can't have, no, it was none of them. It just happened to be 53,000 people dying because you are living in fairy tale land if you think that. Well, you can have that then and many people do just live in fairy tale <laughs> land. I mean, True. I think there is like a degree of like a... Um... I guess it's like a sunk cost fallacy at this point really where, you know, you think of what the covid debate did to people you know you had like friends turning against each other you had like parents arguing with kids arguing with husbands arguing with wives over this issue and people sank so much into this issue <clears throat> and for them to now see kind of like the the well like the john hopkins study that just reveals like what 
waste of time lockdowns were and how they were prevented deaths by like 0.002% or whatever the figure was. Um, yeah, and it's a bit of a sunk cost fallacy now whereby we can't admit we were wrong because, uh, well, because we said so many mean things to people. Um, yeah, I don't regret anything I said or did during lockdown. And I think, uh, you know, anyone with a clean conscience hopefully will not either. Uh, yeah, it is... Um, I, I do think we'll get maybe at some point some kind of questioning. Uh, but it is just fascinating just seeing this kind of play out, really, because you think the COVID lockdowns were four years ago now. And we're seeing the history being written in front of our eyes. Mm. But it just terrifies me that history will be rewritten. But then again, I bring back to, you know, guys like you and me, Rory, history won't be rewritten because now we have the internet. We can hang these people by their words. We can hang <laughs> these people by their actions. We can get on small shows like this and bigger shows and then bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, you know, all the way up to like the Joe Rogan experience where you can have people on to say, look, these are what these people did. Don't you ever forget it. Amen. Amen. El Resistance. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Like it's we like even if it is documented that lockdown saved lives we know it's not and it will be there'll be a substantial people in their hearts and minds know that's the case and the rest of people can live in fancy land so kind of finishing off almost talking about donald trump so for anyone who doesn't know about what's happening in america donald trump um 91 or 92 charges he's been found guilty already on one of those charges for fraud and he is absolutely crushing it. He hasn't attended a single debate. He's going to absolutely annihilate all the people in the Republican um, primary. And what, what kind of what are your thoughts of what's going to happen in America? Because we have a massive support of him. And what's what's your take of Trump? And also, what do you think is going to play out? I mean, American politics is only 250 years old, give or take. And this is like never. Ha I mean, I don't think this has ever happened before in any first world country politics, in any first world country at all, which is leads us to the point now. Can we call this? Can we even call America a first world country anymore? Who knows? Um, yeah, Trump. I he represented a repudiation of everything bad in America. And the black eye that he gave to the establishment in 2016 was just as sweet as the black eye that Brexit gave. And so for that reason, uh, I celebrated uh, his victory just because of the outpouring of grief that the establishment uh, displayed during it. I never believed that as we saw in the Mueller report, the FBI would literally try to frame the sitting president for treason the Russia collusion hoax. Um, yeah, and since then, it was clear that they were trying to take this guy out from the start. Uh, and for what reason in particular? I mean, he wasn't a particularly anti-establishment candidate by the end of his term in office. Uh, he didn't do what he wanted to do. He didn't cut the border. Uh, he didn't build the wall. Um, he didn't particularly cut immigration. He definitely didn't drain the swamp. He had some terrible uh, nomination. Uh, he had some terrible appointments. Uh, people like John Bolton, who is just uh, the worst human being in the world for anyone who knows him. Uh, he continued the war in Yemen. Uh, well, he continued funding uh, Saudi Arabia to fund the war in Yemen, which is just the most brutal conflict ever. Uh, I had a guy on my podcast yesterday, he's talking about it, the biggest humanitarian crisis in the world at the moment. <clears throat> Outbreaks of cholera, some 300,000 deaths since 2015, oh. since the war broke out. Um, you know, awful, awful stuff there. Uh, so, and of course, 2020, you know, Trump was the lockdown president, okay? He came out at the end in 2021, He, but he was there at the start. He was mocking Sweden for not locking down. Um, he was mocking countries for not locking down hard enough. He was the vaccine president. He was Operation Warp Speed. Um, yeah, so from his pure analysis of his abilities as a president, uh, he did a horrible job. It's more about what he represents then. He represents, you know, and this is his selling point as a president. It's, uh, you know, I. they don't hate me. They hate you. And they hate the fact that I'm sticking up for you, uh, which is, you know, his ultimate selling point. And it's true. These people, these, uh, you know, the what did Hillary Clinton call them? The un undesirables, unwashables? Oh, I forget what she 
what is it? Pl- deplorables. Yeah, the deplorables. Yeah. So like, we can see this. Okay. We you turn on the, you know, you turn on American TV, and it's just so toxic. It's full of, um, you know, talking about the great unwashed, these MAGA Republicans, whatever you want to call these people. You know, it's seventy million people in the country. Was it seventy five million people voted for Trump supposedly at the last election? Uh, yeah, and it's just extraordinary. He's not allowed to say a word, utter a word in a debate format, and yet he comes out at what's it fifty three percent? I think he took in Iowa. Um, if what is excellent is that Trump is still the anti establishment candidate, like I said, I don't fully trust. The, his anti-establishment uh, sentiments having not proven that last time round, but um, the establishment candidates, um, I could argue that DeSantis, well, De- Haley is definitely, she is a terrible person, uh, and DeSantis is good on the woke stuff and good on um, culture war issues, but when it comes to being president, that's really not important, to be honest. Uh, it's good for your governor. He was an excellent governor. He did well for COVID. But um, when it comes to being president, your foreign policy is probably the best thing and the most important thing. Um, and he's just all over the place and god awful with that. And it was sad to see Vivek Ramaswamy drop out. Um, he was good on 90%, 95% of issues. He had some stupid stuff to say about Mexico and China, but let's allow him his faults there yeah so it's sad to see him drop out and yeah i think we are going to see a trump uh candidacy obviously by this point in terms of his kind of charges against him um it's extraordinary we have never seen anything like this then they're going after him for things that well they're having to find things to go after him for let's get that really clear here they are trying to get this guy I don't know about that. I I don't know. I think that the so I I mean my view on Trump. I I do agree with what you mean about how he he is kind of with the you know regular people if you want to call him that. But he like what Trump is now is completely different from what he was back then. Like for instance, I I would say looking at Trump and. So, for instance, in a recent speech, he said he spoke about the great unwashed, uh, how they're going to like poison our blood. Like he was using Hitler quotes and stuff. And I, you know, I, I don't agree with the rhetoric of kind of he is literally Hitler. But there was also one of the biggest neo-Nazis in America had a dinner with him and Kanye only six months ago or something. And I'm generally scared for american democracy and i know that it, when people hear that they kind of put me in the kind of you watch cnn you're a complete um i don't know woke whatever but i i genuinely am when i look at what trump says he he for instance trump refused to sign a document recently that he promised he wouldn't do a coup he wouldn't overthrow the government you know ronda santa signed it joe biden signed it but he, he's refused to sign that. Bearing in mind, he signed that before he said the election was rigged. So when I look at going into 2024, I'm I'm scared, to be honest. I don't think that... I understand Trump is a hilarious guy. And I'm sure there's maybe a tiny bit of politicization of his charges. But for a lot of it, it is real. Like, he didn't give back um, documents when he got told excessively to um and i'm not saying that joe biden's innocent either with hunter biden um ukraine like i'm there's loads of corruption i'm not like someone who just loves joe biden i don't like joe biden either at all but i do think i am scared for america i'm like i i would go as far to say that if trump gets elected i wouldn't be surprised if it's the end of um democracy in america i mean a republic whatever you want to call it well, would that be would that be such a bad thing? I mean, Jesus, if what they've had for the since two since nineteen thirteen and the creation of the Federal Reserve is called a democracy, then yeah, let's let's do away with that. Then if you know if it's so bad, I mean, yeah, just I, I yeah on the charges thing. I mean, don't necessarily think that they're not uh, politicized. Um, you know, I mean, Jesus Christ, the man was a New York. Um, 
real estate developer for 30 years. I'm sure he's got some skeletons in the closet. But I don't know. I just haven't seen anything legitimate. It just all seems like they're trying to get this guy. Um, they're chumming up charges that was reserved for Confederates in the Civil War to try and apply to him. I mean, if we're trying to say about insurrection and we're looking at January 6th, I mean, January 6th was a riot and, uh, you know, a riot at best, I think. There's never a legitimate plan to actually try and, uh, what the, you know, what would be the play? Try and take um, well, take out Mike Pence and yeah, then force and him. The, but but then, like, when you look at the charges of the people who've been... So there's been a thousand people who are going to get taken to court. There's been... I think 300 charges or something, you had people in the Oath Keepers who admitted to try and overthrow the government and you've had people who, like you've had legitimate people plead guilty to planning to because they said they that's what Trump wanted. Or And Trump said the election was stolen. He had fake elective scheme in multiple states. He, he had calls where he said, give me extra votes. Like, when I look at how Trump dealt with the election, I would say if that isn't a coup or at least an attempted coup because he's such a moron, like what would be a coup? Because it almost all coups are like, you know, the election's stolen or whatever. And I I don't know. I don't know how, What what is the difference? I'm not saying it was organized. It was the most pathetic coup ever, but there were 250 police officers or whatever injured and I know no no police officer died directly from violence, but let's say they got in there, I, you know, logistically nothing would happen. But if Trump said for the military to help the supporters, like it wasn't far off. He waited hours or like two hours after to actually condemn it. Um, so in that respect, I don't know how, like what, what could have Trump done to make it a coup when he tried a fake, fake elector scheme, he asked for more votes, he said the election was rigged, his supporters tried to storm the capital. What else could he have done for it to be an attempted coup, at least? Well, if this was a coup, I mean, it was the first ever coup that no one brought a gun to. <laughs> you know, there were no serious, like, I mean, these are Trump voters. These are, you know, these are rednecks. So I'm sure they've got, like, they exercise their Second Amendment rights properly. Um, no, I think, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think um, I don't think this was a legitimate attempt to overthrow the government, and I think you're probably more of that more of that opinion as well. But um, it's been co-opted to such a point now, I and mean, we've seen how the January six riots have been covered. Then we've seen that the footage released in the Tucker in Tucker Carlson's interviews. Um, was not the full footage that you got on the CNNs and on the MSNBCs in which they played the same violent footage, okay? You know, people were smashing, cracking heads and smashing windows. Um, but then when you see things like the Capitol Police opening up the doors and walking around and giving them almost guided tours, then that does raise questions then. And just your thing on the army, I mean... Yeah, I come back to this thing about the Mueller report. The deep, you know, Donald Trump was framed by his own deep state. Uh, I have no um, doubts in my mind that if this was a legitimate coup and they got anywhere near taking office, the US Army would quite happily wipe these people out and not lose a wink of sleep over it. I mean, Jesus Christ, American military has fired on its own people before. I mean, you look at uh, what happened in Waco in 1993 with the Branch Davidians uh, and David Koresh. Um, yeah, I don't believe that um, they would have any chance of even attempting a coup. Uh, and I don't believe that any of them would legitimately try it. Wait, so um, what, what, would you, what would you describe it then if... So Trump said the election was rigged. There was a fake elector scheme that he's going to get charged on. He had calls with people about trying to overturn the election. Um, there was... Well, you could say a riot, but what what could have happened for it to be an attempted insurrection? Like attempted insurrection throughout history. I mean, the government being there in the first instance, then uh, actually taking people captive, forcing them to sign things. Um, but was yeah, it attempted? Was it an attempt? I mean, they had a noose of Mike Pence. Like a lot of police officers got injured. What could have been different in that? in January 6th of the protesters for it to be a coup? Like, would they have had to succeeded for it to be a coup or could it be an attempted coup? 
you'd see blood to see a coup, really. I mean, the only blood blood that was spilt was Ashley Babbitt, who was shot and killed uh, by a police by a police officer uh, when she, for her only crime of crawling through a window. Um, yeah, I think you need to see blood. You need to see an attempt to, to try and uh, trap a entrap a politician uh, and entrap government people. But I, I mean, I think that's what they were trying to do. Though I think they weren't just going to walk in and just be like, "Hi." I like, yeah, there was, I was agree. There were some people who let them in, but I don't think if they got in, it would have just been. Fr- I don't think they would have been friendly. They brought a noose to the event, famously multiple nooses of like so they could hang people. Um, and about the argument with the guns, I do, I do think that's a decent argument but the issue with that is famously there were there was a call to donald trump in the january 6 hearings of a staffer who said and people can say it's compromise right people can say this is bollocks but there's multiple collaborations with this apparently many people are coming to the gates of because when the protests beat when there's massive rally they have to do certain cautionary checks of people so they're not just bringing guns to obviously shoot trump they were doing and they were saying there were a bunch of people come with guns and they said they had to that's why it was taking so long because trump was like why is it taking so long to get everyone in and they were like wait so many people bring guns and then trump famously said don't it doesn't matter they're not they're not going to use the guns for me quote unquote from a staffer who worked him now people can say that's not true but uh, uh, you know when you look at donald trump and what he says is it really beyond the realm of possibility he said don't worry, it's not for me. You know, like no, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I think he probably did say that. Yeah, and, and I think like with most things, he said it tongue in cheek, and um, yeah, he probably said it tongue in cheek. I don't think, um, yeah, let, let's just let's roll the clock back to 2016. Uh, consistently, we saw a collaboration of big media, the deep state, to try and take this guy out. Um, and I do agree with him. I think the election was rigged. I don't think it was stolen. I think it was rigged. So stolen implies that there was ballot stuffing or ballot harvesting or, I don't know, faulty machines or whatever the whatever the thing was then. Um, and, yeah, I've not seen any... Cre- I've seen some evidence, but I've not seen enough credible evidence that that was the case. Uh, although, was the election rigged? Absolutely, 100% it was rigged. It was rigged in the sense that stories were suppressed from the mm. American people. Um, the American people were not told about um, Hunter Biden laptop story. Okay, The president's son um, engaged in activities with a country which America is now funding and on the verge of an, an actively arming a hot war with. Uh, was gauged in uh, illegal activities and trading his name for the um, for the privilege. Would that have turned the election? Um, I don't know, but we will never know now. Um, so I agree with him in the sense that it was rigged in that sense. But uh, yeah, stolen is just is still a step too far for me. Yeah, I, I do agree with that because like, I'm very aware that that would have definitely changed up things and who knows how radically there's some studies say it hasn't some studies say that would have made a massive difference but regardless there was a collusion there was suppression there was people not showing trump there were people like certain stories about like what you said of hunter Biden's laptop like so many different variables and also just a collusion in the way of like the coverage of trump trump you could say that's rigging i mean i guess it's free speech but it's when it's done in a state v with private companies then it is rigging because then it's like not fair um and i think we could yeah we, we could talk about trump a lot i think and stuff we should we should do an american episode for sure but it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for coming on um it's been a really good episode dived into a lot where can people catch you okay so just type in uk liberty v on twitter and um and youtube and uh, you'll see my stuff there definitely check it out um and any any last words any last words then yeah trump 2024 <laughs> oh dear me, dear me. <laughs> um do not endorse do not endorse <laughs> do not endorse biden either i just think no, i don't either i don't either all right it's yes yeah, and that's what's happening um but thank you so much for watching everyone i really awesome. do pre- really do appreciate everyone who's like listening tune in every week thanks for coming on really appreciate it. it's been a great chat and also thanks to all the new faces who have come over because recently 
the podcast has definitely grown a lot and I've been on some big podcasts and I've had some big guests on been able to share it which has been amazing so welcome everyone new who's joined to the show um if you if you are interested in come to the show do message me go over to my insta at reg podcast and get in touch and also you know share this with a friend or family member someone who doesn't know the podcast someone who's never going to hear conversations outside bbc news or just someone who not even that interested in politics you think this might be an interesting episode to them please do share the podcast because it's the only way this thing goes I've been doing that for 106 weeks every week and I'm going to keep on doing it forever. So it'd mean a lot if you could share it with a friend or family member because I really, really want to do this for my living. I want to expand this. I want to get, you know, make a website, have people writing, you know, on the ground journalism or like I want to have resistance rallies. Like I want to do so much with this, create a movement both culturally and through policy i i know we can do it you know i i can see the groundwork of this podcast is building and also to someone who's going to be listening to this right now um we're a bit of a weird one and kind of no one's going to really know what this means but just to that person who is listening i do miss you um bit random there no one's gonna have a clue what that means and stuff but i just want to say that um but thanks so much for listening everyone i love every single one of you if you're feeling low high or happy i hope this has brought some joy to you do check out liberty v link in the description um i fucking love you and i'll see you next thursday at six o'clock it's a bye from me and it's a bye from me peace